How are we doing out there? You guys doing all right? You awake after that? That was amazing. Absolutely. What a great start to this evening. My name is Phil. I'm one of the pastors here. Just wanted to welcome you and just have the joy and the privilege to, to kind of set the context for this evening and what we're about this weekend. So uh, hopefully, uh, if you've been uh, here you know, for a while, you realize that uh, this is a little different. Uh, Rocky alluded to that already, a little different weekend. So uh, for me, I don't know about you, I, almost a show of hands here, I love change. Change invigorates me. So there's some people in this room that you're like, yes, thank you. There's other people like, oh my goodness, where's this thing going to land? So just trust us. It's going to be a great weekend. Uh, if you've been, again, a part of our church for a while too, we've been on this journey of just exploring God's heart for hospitality. This idea of not just um, you know, the way that we maybe know hospitality, but what is this kind of redemptive hospitality, biblical hospitality, sacred practice of hospitality? And so we thought no better way to end kind of this experience, this four-week journey that we've been on. We've looked at this idea of being hospitable to the stranger or being hospitable to just the, the brothers and sisters in our church, but also this very specific part of our community, this part of our need, and that's just the children, the children in our community and around the world, the orphans that God loves so dearly. What does it mean to truly make space for the kids that desperately need help and hope and the parents and the families and everything around that? And that's what this weekend's about. And so to kind of kick this off, I want to share or have, we're going to share a video here that just kind of captures some of the stories, some of the weekends that we've done like this in the past to kind of maybe catch us up, up on, on the way this weekend has played out before. So uh, here we go. We in our own infinite wisdom had decided that God didn't want us to have kids because I had to have a hysterectomy. And so we were in grad school. We lived in a two bedroom apartment that was built on the back of somebody's metal shop. And we drove a 1994 Hale dented Bonneville. So we were not your typical adoptive parents. And Colton's first mom called us out of the blue and asked, said she was pregnant and asked if we would consider adopting. Um, as Colton was about five, six months old, uh, we were prompted to uh, go back into the waiting pool and adopt another child. And when adoption weekend, I, I, I think, I can't remember exactly what it was, but there was like kiosks everywhere, kids' faces and... Uh, it was just, it was, that weekend was, I was the focus of the whole weekend. and. It, I don't really know exactly what hit me about it, but the uh, the verse in James, the true love of God is care of widows and orphans, that hit me. That, you know, like we have three little kids at home, but there are others that do not have what my kids have right now. We pursued foster care once already, um, about three years ago. And then I got pregnant and we had Brenna and so we postponed, we let our license lapse and we are pursuing it again. Both of the boys' birth moms also love God and sought his will for their circumstances. And we just believe that that was the most courageous and loving thing that they could have done. It was not easy for either of them because they truly did love their babies. That courageous act was also, it had the hand of God on it. I, I like that the church makes such a big deal about it because it's closest to God's heart, you know? 
in the Bible, we're always referred to as adopted sons and daughters. I had to learn to not let my fears of what I didn't know and what I couldn't understand um, stop me from obeying the Lord and allowing Him to show me what my life could look like just simply by obeying Him and not allowing fear to rule. There's a financial cost. It's a sacrifice, you know, um, but it's worth it. At the end, all the sacrifices we think are worth it because you're giving something of yourself to somebody else. Getting a call for a referral of a child that needs a home immediately completely makes everything on your calendar not matter. And it's amazing. I remember when the boys were little, it was always fun when they would study about baby Moses in, the, in, in their Sunday school classes because you could say, oh, look, Colton and Carson, he was adopted too, and he's in the Bible. And it was fun to be able to make that correlation. And now as they get older, and we talk about, we are adopted into the family of God, and nothing we do can change that. And so nothing you guys do will change the fact that we are a family. It's true, it's true, not everybody can be an adoptive parent. That's not a calling that everybody has, but everyone can play a part. It does take a village. I mean, with biological kids, with adopted kids, no matter what, it takes a village. And so everybody can play a part. Everybody can. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to adopt. It could mean supporting a family who is called to do it because we need help. Like, we want to go on dates sometimes by ourselves. I don't know, I feel like our heart's big enough give a little peace, even if it's just for 24 hours. But I also feel like our heart's big enough that we can give more and that God is calling us to give and sacrifice part of who we are for these kids. We would not have been here in our journey of faith without this. Uh -uh. It was just simply obey me and this is what has resulted. Um, it's, like, it's like you just said, it's, those two boys are they're our family, they're our sons. We, we probably couldn't do something as remarkable as, as this just as a couple, but with God's fingerprints on it and God's hand on it, it's pulled together a, a wonderful family. Right on, absolutely. I love that, that line. We love making a big deal about this, and that's what this weekend is about. So I'm gonna introduce our guest uh, here this evening, uh, Mark and Kristen Orphan. They're a part of, yeah, I want you guys to come up, just a wonderful organization that we're beginning this great partnership with out of Fort Collins. And before they get started, I just have to clarify, because I know a lot of people have asked me this question already. Yes, Mark and Kristen Orphan is their last name. How cool is that? I have no, I mean, all week long, yes, their last name is Orphan, their last name is Orphan, but we are so thrilled that you guys uh, took a whole weekend, you brought a huge team to be a part of this, and so thank you, and excited to hear what God's put on your heart. Thank you. So if you need to know the origin of our last name, you can find us somewhere after the service, and we'll give you the story, but it's... Uh, Traces back a couple generations, and no, we did not change our name for the sake of this ministry. We are very excited to be here with you this evening. Um, what a great church um, and a wonderful worship time that we got had the privilege to share with you. Uh, we can already tell that um, we share 
very similar heart for God's heart. And that's what we want to talk about tonight. Um, I was raised in a family with the value we take care of our own. And it's a good value. In my family, what that looked like is we took in extended family members from time to time. We prioritized family above all, family first, and um, in every situation, um, we were loyal to one another. Now, as an adult, I got married. We had two sons, and God began to expand my heart and open my eyes to really what that value was all about. What does it mean to care for our own uh, as Phil said, we're Mark and Kristen Orphan. We've been married for 27 years. We have four children, two of whom entered our family through adoption. And it was through that family journey, actually two crisis phone calls at two different times that both resulted in one of our daughters coming in to live with us. Through all the ups and downs, the road to healing from trauma and neglect, that God began to open our eyes and connect our hearts to his heart for fatherless children and the families like you saw on the video who care for them. We started a ministry called Finally Home um, over a decade ago to come alongside of other families like ours. And we are so excited to partner with Christ Community Church in launching their very own Finally Home Family Strengthening Program for foster, adoptive, and kinship families. I hope you will consider being a part of that team because as we also heard, not everyone is called to adoption, but we can all step up and wrap around um, families. We're happy to be here with you today and consider who... Whom as God's people are we called to care for? Who are our own and why? What does God's word have to say about it and who are his own? Those who are labeled by the world by many different names like orphan, foster child, forgotten, abandoned, sold, unplanned, unwanted. But the truth of who we all are, because there really is no us in them, is found in our identity, in who we are in Christ, our names, and the fact that we belong to him. And God has chosen to use us, those who are in Christ, as participants in his redemption story for those who are lost, whom he longs to bring home. So as we begin our night together, would you pray with me? God, we invite you to speak to us tonight through your word and by your Holy Spirit. I know that only you are able to speak to individual hearts. You see us each uniquely and individually, and you can speak to our individual hearts, those who are asking, seeking, and knocking this evening. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Every, Oops. I messed up already. Every, every orphan story is, is different. It, it's unique, and, and, it, and it has its own. And one of the, the beauty, uh, be most beautiful things about being engaged in orphan care ministry is to get to know stories. There's hardship in those stories. There's pain in those stories. But they're unique. They're their own stories. But here's what is true. Everyone, every child without a family shares this in common. They all live with the need to be renamed by the redemptive love of a heavenly father. And we, as his people, 
as his church, have the opportunity and, in fact, the biblical mandate to actively help facilitate that. And I think it's the most important and the most amazing opportunity maybe afforded to us as his people. We're going we're gonna to take just the next several minutes to examine the following question. Why must the church, God's people, care for fatherless kids? And we're going to look at five different responses to that question. You see, it's easy to view orphan care as another church program, right? Because, because it is. In churches that are doing something, we, we tend to program things, and that's a, and that's a good thing. And, and the truth about programs is that some churches are good at one thing, and, and others are good at something else. And if you look across the landscape of any community that's part of the beauty of the body of Christ is that churches are good at different things and they kind of have their lane and they may reach different demographics of people and they may be better at some programs than, than others but we, we we take care of communities together some Christians have heart for certain kinds of outreach, but, 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 but others would say, well, that's not for everyone. And we take this view, we're looking, we're talking about orphan care, we're looking through the lens of orphan care as a social issue, as, as something that really is about, about activism. And while there's room for that among God's people, and we are to, to, to be active and to, and to look for change uh, in systems and such, as God's people, this is not just a social issue. It's a theological issue. It's a heart issue. It has to do with the heart of God, and there's a difference. The first answer to our question, why must God's people care, is that God commands it, quite simply. When I was growing up, that, then that would be the end of the message, right? Like, uh, that's all you need to know, okay? But we, even in the video, it's at James 1.27, and, and, and there's this verse that, that, that in this moment in Scripture that defines what, it, what religion is and what it is to serve God as his people, and it says that religion our God and Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And in, in that verse, there's two things. There's practical charity and caring specifically for orphans and widows. And then there's also personal purity, but it's not one or the other. God commands us to be about both. Psalms uh, Psalm 82.3 says, defend the cause of the weak and the fatherless. There's, there's that fatherless child again. Isaiah 1.17 says, seek justice, encourage the oppressed, defend the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. Proverbs 31.8 says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. And it may be that, that a child without a family is at the top of the list of those who cannot speak for themselves. And we could go on and on. Orphans and fatherless children are singled out specifically 41 times in God's word. Clearly, God does mandate it. And those, as those who we're to care for and to defend, there are over 2,000 verses in Scripture that deal with the poor and, and, and the needy and those who are destitute. And, and, and practically speaking, orphans in many ways are the least of these, because if you think of uh, of the plight of a child without a family, our voice comes from our family, advocacy comes from our family. No matter how functional or dysfunctional it may be, opportunity originates in our family. And these children stand alone and close to the heart of God in our calling as His people. 
So scripture is clear that God cares about those whom the world has often forgotten. And he commands his people, us, to take action. And at the heart of this command is Christ's love for us. Christ's love compels us to care for those in need. When we know that we are loved so well, so thoroughly, so wholly, it inspires us to love like he does. We read in, in John 13, 35, they will know we are Christians by our love. God is love. It's not just what he does, it's who he is. And he made you so he could love you, so he could be in relationship with you. And he made us to be the physical embodiment of his love on this earth. Jesus said that the two greatest commandments are founded in love. Love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others as you would love yourselves. You know, my oldest son is about to turn 23, just graduated from college, got his first job offer, and we're so excited. Um, he's the first of four that we are launching out. Can I get an amen? Yes. <laughs> um, he had two favorite games when he was four years old. Slide Monster was one of them. He was very active. We lived in Southern California at the time, so we were at the park just about every single day. Slide Monster basically consisted of him running around while I chased at him, grabbed at his ankles, and he tried to make it to the slide. When we would get really tired, we would climb to the very top of the play structure, and we would sit down, and we would tell each other stories, and we would whisper what he would call secrets and jokes and different things. And, and I remember one particular day, I just leaned in, and I said, Jake, I love you. And he scrunched up his little face, put his hands on his hips, and says, Mommy, that is not a secret. Even as a young man or a young mom, I, I got it. I was so pleased that my little guy knew how much he was loved. It was not a secret that he was loved by a mom and a dad. And you know, over the years, as we tried to live that love out before him, we were able to introduce him to his heavenly father and his love and a personal relationship with his savior, Jesus Christ. And to Jake, that made sense because he'd always known love and value. But when it comes to a kid who has not necessarily known love, they've known rejection and abuse and neglect, how much more do they need to be told and shown what it means to be loved. Jesus loves us, period, no strings attached. When we talk about um, responding in love to others, it's not to earn anything from him. He doesn't ask us to do anything, but his love is so great and so perfect and incomprehensible that it compels us to pour into those who need it most. And as Mark said, it's not just a social issue with feeding and clothing and providing a roof over someone's head, though we often must start there, absolutely. And it goes way beyond that because only this great and marvelous love of Jesus Christ can heal a shattered heart. We have been commissioned as his hands, feet, and voice of love. And what amazing privilege it is to sacrifice and to love others well in the name of Jesus. In 1 John 3, 16, we read, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay our, our lives for our brothers. 
If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Thirdly, the church must care for fatherless kids because human need demands it. It demands that we sit up and pay attention to the epidemic of abandonment and abuse in our world. And as we just read, do something as we're able. There are currently between 150 and 160 million orphans in the world and between four and 500,000 kids in the foster care system in our country. And you'll be able to go to the tables at the end of the service and find out more about this county as well. And the kids here in our very own community in need. I'm not great at thinking in terms of the masses. Those numbers are so big, they can become almost meaningless to us because we hear them over and over. And the growing worldwide mental health crisis and the opioid addiction, those are both creating more of an uphill climb in terms of children being removed from their homes. It's overwhelming and it can paralyze us until we remember that every number has a name, every name has a story, and every story is a person who matters to God. And that includes you and I, because our stories matter. They matter to God, and if we're honest, we all have broken parts. We're all broken, and he alone is able to beautifully weave our gifts, our brokenness, our needs with those whom he has called us to serve. He heals and restores us as we enter in to the restoration stories of others. It's like the fish and the loaves. He is the great multiplier, bringing the broken parts together to create something beautiful and whole. So for that reason, we don't have to be intimidated by these big numbers or even measure our own resources or our abilities against what seems like a bottomless need. But rather, each one of us can take a step of obedience where he points and he provides and he equips, trusting that he is enough. His work in and through us, it's enough. And in doing so, we step through the haze of the masses and the huge, incomprehensible numbers, and we see individuals that God cares about and as a result, helps us to care about. For you, that might be being a mentor or a camp counselor or or a child sponsor or a volunteer or even a foster parent or an adoptive parent. For me, this is not a global issue. It's not a big, massive crisis. It's personal. And their names are Sadie and Kalia, and they're my daughters. As Kristen just said, the need when it comes to orphan care is massive and overwhelming, hard to wrap your mind around at some times, especially when we think about worldwide numbers. It's overwhelming. But the fourth way to look at this question is to understand that only the church, God's people, the universal church, is positioned to handle the problem, the orphan crisis, which is, which is growing in many ways in our world. No other institution can handle the problem. Historically, every institution has tried. Every government on the face of the earth, nonprofit organizations, local and county government, and we could go on and on and on, but the church stands alone 
as the people of God who are positioned uniquely to handle this problem. See, if we're only talking about adoption, which we're not, but if you, if you could focus for a minute and just, just think about adoption. Let me do some simple math for you. There are over 300,000 Christian churches in the United States, in our country, 300,000. 102 kids are waiting approximately today to be adopted, okay? That means they've been cleared and they're waiting. They're just waiting for someone to step up and to say, I, I will adopt that child and, and I'll be certified and I'll bring them into my home. So what that means is that if one family in every two churches, just half the churches in our country, one family got certified and, and, and took those waiting children into our home, then, then that issue goes away. Let's talk about the over 400,000 kids in the foster care system. If two families from every church in America adopted or became foster families, then there would be a waiting list of Christian families ready to take care of the next child that was removed from a home or born unwanted. And we could hand, could you imagine that? We could hand a waiting list with the names of God's people to every, every county agency across this country and say, when it happens, we're ready. We're, that could happen. The church is big enough and, and God has positioned us to be able to do that. And if you look at this globally, the same principle and ratios apply. There are over 2 billion, estimated over 2 billion Christians in the world. And it is exciting for me. I've been much of my life, I've been involved in global missions as well as, as orphan care. And it is so exciting to see the mobilization of God's people in other parts of the world taking the lead to solve the orphan crisis, even in underdeveloped, undeveloped countries. And, and, and we, there's been this mindset in the past that, well, gosh, you, you know, uh, America's gonna just gonna have to adopt all the kids, but that's a, God's people are stepping up around the world and solving the orphan crisis in their own countries. But I want you to really hear something here, and this is important. Th th this, th this doesn't happen if only those in our churches who are called to bring kids into their home step up. Most of us are not called to foster care adoption. As it was said in the video, it's a specific calling. But all of us are called to participate. All of us. It's not a, it's not a well, I'm in or out as, out as it pertains to foster care and adoption, but all of us are cared to participate called to participate. That is why I love the growing number of churches like this one that are looking at the big picture and casting vision for all of the other critically important ways that each of us can be a part of the mandate of God's people. There's no secondary roles in orphan care. Mentors, sponsors, volunteers, camp counselors, teachers, Sunday school workers, and the list goes on and on. Churches like this one are embracing a growing number of ways that we can all participate. You're going to be able to see some of those at the end of the service today. In 2008, when we started Finally Home, for that reason, God specifically called us to kinship care and then foster care and then adoption. And then we experienced isolation and panic and desperation like we never imagined that we would. And I remember thinking, we thought we could do this, but we can't. We cannot do this. 
And it was then that we realized that our kids needed support from all of God's people. And if my girls were here, they would start to name off dozens and dozens and dozens of God people. I I hope we're on the list, but we would probably come somewhere down the list in terms of the people that God has used to impact and transform their lives. Why must God's people step up to care for orphans? God commands it. Jesus' love for us compels us. Human need demands it. And only the church is positioned to handle this problem. And finally, God has a purpose and a new name for every life. And this is truly the transformational part of this whole thing. This is where we see God do miracles that break destructive generational cycles in our society. Psalm 139, 13 through 16 is one of my favorite promises in scripture. It says this, for you created my, this is David, this prayer of David, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful and I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the special place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body, and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And it's this beautiful picture of God's design and purpose for us before we were ever born. The central truth of David's prayer here is that every person has a purpose prescripted by God as our creator before we came out of of our mother's womb. God's purpose for every life predated their birth. A a child was never born that God did not love enough to die for and that he didn't have a specific purpose for. You know what term I, 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 I hate perhaps more than any other term is the term illegitimate kids. None of the kids without a family in this world are accidental or illegitimate because through the lens of God, our creator, Every child has a design purpose scripted by him and a new name. Isaiah 43, 1 says this, don't be afraid for I will protect you. I call you by name. You are mine. The labels, and Kristen mentioned some of them earlier, that kids without families carry around in their lives are devastating. The terrible things they begin to believe about themselves because of trauma and abuse and neglect are heartbreaking, and they create barriers in their hearts and minds that only God can break through. But here is the beauty of what God calls us to do. He has a new name for every one of these kids, and we, as his people, get to help them to find that new name. And it doesn't happen overnight. And if you've been involved, you know that. It doesn't happen in a week. It happens over time as we continue to obey and say, God, use me to help to rename and to reframe who you are to this child. And it's, the most, and it's one of the most beautiful miracles you will ever see if you follow the heart of God and get involved in the lives of these kids. As we close our time with you tonight, we want to consider this question together. How can I participate in God's plan for caring for orphans? And the first thing I would encourage you to do is to pray, which is a conversation with God daily. 
seeking after Jesus, talking to him, seeking him first, getting to know his character, what and whom he cares about, who he calls his own, and searching his word for yourself. We don't need to look any further for our purpose than to the one who created us, the one who made us and designed us to be in relationship with him first and others, and then out of that overflowing love through us to do the good works that he prepared in advance for us to do. As we do that, we can examine, because I'm pretty practical, what is God doing around me? What is God doing in my neighborhood? What do I keep seeing over and over again? What is he doing in my church? What's keeping me up at night and I can't quite get it out of my mind? I could never possibly tell each individual here, or would I want to, to prescribe what God is calling you to do. That's not what this is about. A living, active relationship with God is dynamic. He speaks to us. He tells us. He calls us, opens and closes doors according to his will for us. He can speak to you individually. The role of the Holy Spirit is to speak to you and to guide you because we know as we've shared this evening that God cares about those who are lost and forgotten and he cares about us. He cares about the abandoned and the abused. We know that from his character as described in his word, we also know that he invites us into his work. And in doing so, he does exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ask or imagine by his power at work in us. And here's where the math doesn't quite add up from a human standpoint. The more we pour out, the more that we receive in the way of intimacy with Christ. It comes with a cost because most things that matter do. But it's in the laying down of our lives in obedience and gratitude that we truly find ourselves because we have all once been separated from God. We've all been orphaned, cast out, forgotten in some way. But God in his great love has chosen to adopt us, to call us his children. We're no longer servants, but we are his children. I cannot fully explain the mystery of his amazing love and his redemptive work because God is beyond explanation. But what I can do is point to his word, and tell you what that has looked like in my own life. That in going out and being the part of, of the rescue mission on behalf of the children and then the families whom God has called me to serve, God has healed, rescued, and redeemed my own heart. He will not stop this rescue mission until all of his children are finally home, and I'm excited for you to discover your part in it. Ripple effect, the continuing and spreading result of an event or action. From the beginning, Finally Home believed that in order to truly make a difference in the lives of foster and adopted kids, they must encourage and strengthen the parents. The parents are the key to long-term safety and health. For us as uh, parents of two adopted children, we, um, 
moved here from California and we didn't have a support system, hearing about this opportunity to gather with other people that are um, raising children, that aren't their biological children, and to get some teaching and training. And um, I just thought, hey, it's a no-brainer, we need to do that. I think one of the main things um, for us is that it's the principles of a healthy house. And I think actually any family could use those, but we're very fortunate to have been able to learn some of those basic principles through Finally Home. And I think keeping those things in my mind and putting them into practice really helps me to be a better mom. Over the years, the beautiful outgrowth of serving families has resulted in people stepping up to pass along the encouragement they have received to others. In that way, efforts are multiplied. The beautiful tapestry being woven through the sharing of one another's heartaches and successes has exceeded all expectations. For us, after the first um, session that we went to about a year ago, there was an opportunity just to give financially. I'm like, well, we can do that. And we just, we just believe in the mission, we believe in the leadership, and we know that, you know what? Lives are being improved, children's lives, parents' lives, families' lives, blended families' lives are being improved. We want to be a part of that. And then, lo and behold, a couple months ago, we got a tap on the shoulder at our local church saying, hey, We'd like you for you to consider teaching. I knew it would be a great opportunity for us as a family. When you teach, you learn so much, and the teaching's amazing, and also to have a chance to give back. I would just say that if you believe like the Lord has laid it on your heart or is tugging at your heartstrings, um, you, you can be a blessing. And I think there are a lot of different ways to get involved, because Brett was talking about financially you could get involved, but um, there are a lot of different roles within any different program, so you don't necessarily have to be the teacher. You can help with hospitality. You can help teach in the kids' classes. There's just a number of different ways for individuals to get involved. My first experience with working with Finally Home was doing some volunteer work at Finally Home and just seeing the quality of the program. But there's a backstory to that. Um, as grandparents, we had had our grandson staying with us. At that point, we were desperate for resources, for tools, for relationship, and it was a pretty lonely time. This work was never meant to stay in one place with one team or group. The need is way too big. It was designed to be spread out through churches in multiple communities so that more families would be given a lifeline. This leads to relationship, tools, and encouragement for the journey ahead. We have a lot of families at Genesis Project that are in challenging situations with kiddos. Whether it's grandparents raising kids, families who are kinship families, um, foster, adoptive families, or even just single parents. We felt like the tools that Finally Home has to offer are so valuable and life-changing for the health of the families. Um, that in particular, we, we deal with a lot of those families, and we're so excited that we will have these tools to share with the families. I think a ripple effect happens when you take one small action and it goes way beyond anything you could have dreamed.
Would you pray with me? Oh, God. May we experience that right now, Lord. God, your heart for us, your heart for every single person, this incredible love, that it's hard to comprehend 
It changes us. God, and your heart extends to the people and places, God, that we could only dream. God, continue to wreck our lives. Continue to invite us into this partnership, God, to create together with you hope and healing. God, for the children in our community, in our lives around the world, God, that desperately need hope, the fatherless. God, continue, continue to move in us as a church. Continue to help us to make the space necessary to say yes to you and to be a part of this mission of rescuing those that need your love and your help and your salvation.